Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, This morning's reading is Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities. They have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. And you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations. And in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame... You will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Lord, thank you for Nick and the time he spent preparing to bring this message to us. I ask that you would help us all have receptive ears and hearts that we might learn something from this that can make our lives better witnesses of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone, how are you going? Good to uh, be here sharing around God's word and uh, just a couple of things before I start. Um, so I won't put my notes up just yet. There's a little devotional here. They're out on the... Um, table out there. It's free and it was uh, written, it's written by Matt J. 
Jacoby. If you came to Sons of Korah back in March, Matt's the lead singer of Sons of Korah. He's a kind of biblical scholar, expert, but he's a pastor in a Baptist church in Melbourne. And they, they had some spare ones, so they just sent over a whole bunch. It goes through May, June, July, and he's going through 7th century prophets. He writes a devotional that's printed every two or three months daily, just a, a short reading and then a, a little reflection and a prayer. It's really beautiful. I've had a look through, so I commend that to you if, uh, if you want, if you still use actual literal you know, paper um, and not just everything on your phone, um, grab one of those. It's called Thrive, and um, it's so that you can thrive. Thrive indeed. And a little shout out to uh, Margaret Boyle. Where are you? Margaret. Margaret. Um, Margaret's heading away uh, Monday week, I think, going to Canada for a month to see um, your mum, who's not that well. You haven't seen her for five years. I just want to say thank you, Margaret, for all that you do in terms of behind the scenes. I know how much you do behind the scenes because a lot of things... Yeah, let's give Margaret... And Chris, Chris would know too because uh, Chris Jeffrey used to do a lot of that admin stuff. So thank you very much. Really appreciate the way you um, roster and prepare and get people sorted and organised and it's a great help. And uh, we don't know what we'll do for a month, but we'll work it out. <laughs> so thanks, Margaret, and we wish you all the well, all the best as you go over there to see your mum. Okay, who likes movies? Yeah? Okay, I'm going to test you. I'm going to test you, all right? I'm going to put up here on the screen. Um, now, you've got to put your hand up if you know it, okay? Number one, may the force be with you. Okay, so, uh, someone tell me. Amelia? Star Wars. Um, no, this is getting a bit older here. Number two. Hand up, you know that one. He's looking at you, kid, and Mick. That is. Casablanca. And who said it? Who was the actor? Uh, Bumpy Yokart. Bumpy Yokart, or Humphrey Bogart, as we know. Um, what about number three? That'll do, pig. That'll do. Okay, babe, we all know that one. Um, number four, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Chris. Yeah, Rhett. Rhett Butler. Um, Mama always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Who knows that one? Yeah, Forrest Gump. And what about this one? I see dead people. See that one? Oh, my gosh. It's one of the scariest movies ever. Um, anyway. Yeah, Haley Joel Osment. I think he's still recovering from that movie, poor guy. Just um, putting a kid in a movie like that. Okay, what about this quote? The next one. No, that's all right. Lisa's onto it. What about this one? <laughs> Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Uh, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. Who recognises that? Isaiah? Do you recognise it from anywhere else? Luke, Jesus. So that's exactly what Jesus did, what we did with the movies. He ripped out a quote from the Old Testament and he used it to frame his whole, his whole mission, his whole ministry. Now, the Old Testament, if you've ever read the Old Testament or seen it, it's quite a, a large collection of literature. There's a lot there. There's a lot of books, a lot of things and yet Jesus, when he reaches back into his 
scriptures and to the Jewish scriptures to say as he begins his new mission, his new movement. And greetings to the people out in the hallway today. <laughs> it's the first time we've had people in the hallway. So sorry if there's, there's plenty of seats in here, by the way, normally on the ends. Um, and I should just give a shout out when we do, if you, if you come to church, try and move to the edges where you can because it makes it easier for our orphans out the back there <laughs> to find seats. But you're still part of this Church, even though you're outside the doors, you're still part. We're, we're going to reach you with God's love out there. Um, so Jesus reaches back and he pulls this quote. He, and Isaiah is a big book. It's 66 chapters. And Jesus takes this section and says, this is what I'm about. This is why I've come. This is what I'm doing. And so in terms of mission as a big picture this morning, I wanted to look at a little bit of Isaiah and why Jesus maybe chose this and what shape the church that Jesus has called should be, what sort of things should shape the church that he um, gave the commission. Because this verse that Jesus uses in Luke 4 says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, said Jesus. But in Acts, and we've been going through the book of Acts before mission, essentially Jesus says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you, is on us. And so we carry and take the mission that he began, the shape and the contours and the, the flavour of that mission, and we carry that on today as, as we do as a church community. So let's just have a quick look at Isaiah's world. What was it like to live in Isaiah's world when he prophesied um, this part of his book, which is talking about the, the heavens to come, the, the kingdom of heaven that God was bringing together. Um, Isaiah was called by God. He had a vision in chapter six. He sees God in all of his glory and he's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed by the power and the majesty of God. And he's overwhelmed by his own sin and sinfulness. And he's entered into this vision of, of God's heavenly court. And, and the Lord, God, says, you know, who can I send? Who, who will go for us to, to bring the good news to the nations? Who will I send to take my message of restoration, of hope, of redemption? And Isaiah's like, well, you know, I'll go, but I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst a sinful people. God, how could you use me? How could you use me to bring your restoring, healing, restoration work to the world? And God cleanses him. In this scene, he, 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 I won't go into it, but he's cleansed from his sin. And so he goes and he becomes a prophet of the Most High. Now, it was a time of great turmoil politically. The northern tribe of Israel, um, or tribes were 10 tribes, and Assyria came in about 722 and sacked that part of Israel and took all the tribes away and then populated it with their own Assyrian people. Those 10 tribes were kind of lost forever. There's a few, few crazy theories out there, but um, they were just gone. So Israel kind of began to be overwhelmed by the powerful nations around it. And part of that was their unfaithfulness to God. God had been warning them through the prophets since King David, hey, follow me, listen to me, be faithful to me. I want to make you a nation to bless all the nations. I want you to be the nation who I'm going to move through and speak through and act through to bless all the nations and to bring healing and restoration. And they'd repeatedly been unfaithful. The kings were wicked. And so this 
10 tribes in the north were just lost and taken away. So there's the two tribes um, in the south left and Isaiah is speaking to them. And he's saying the same kind of message. Look, God wants to do a great thing through you. He wants to use you. Listen to God. Follow him. Obey him. Love him over all the other things in your life, all the idols, all the other things that can take your heart. And that they weren't listening either. And so he's warning them, saying, look, if this keeps going, even you, like Judah, you'll go into exile as well. And they're like, well, that's never going to happen. We're God's people, right? He's never going to do that. And it happened in 586, 587 BC, the Babylonians came in. Mind you, the Assyrians tried to attack southern Israel as well, but God delivered them miraculously uh, in around the 700s. But in 586, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar came in and sacked Israel, took the people away, and they went into exile. It was a terrible time. So Isaiah is speaking ahead, saying, if, if you don't listen to God... And you know, a couple of hundred, 150 years later, this is what happened to them. They went into exile. But he's also speaking, don't, God's going to bring you back. It's not the end. Like when we make mistakes, when we fall short, there's consequences. But God's going to bring you back. He's still going to do his purposes. He's still going to do a great thing. He's still going to do what he set out to do. And these are some of the key themes that the prophet Isaiah in his book talks about. The sovereignty of God over all the nations Remember, this is Israel. They're like, we're God's nation. We're his favourite. He's for us. And he's going to come back and he's going to destroy all these other wicked, evil nations. And it's just going to be us and God. It'll be great. And God's like, now hang on. Yes, you are my people. I love you. I've called you. But my heart is for all the nations, for all the people groups. The coming of the Messiah and the salvation he brings, Isaiah talks about that. The need for repentance to change and turn back to God. We keep wandering off. Our hearts keep being drawn away. And this happened to Israel. We need to keep coming back. The judgment of God on sin and rebellion, that God is serious about injustice, about, in, about wickedness, about violence, about evil. He's serious about dealing with that and holding humanity account for that. The restoration of Israel and the nations under the Messiah, under his reign, and the promise of a new heaven and a new earth. These are some of the big themes of Isaiah. But there's a key verse in Isaiah 40, and let's go to that now. God's people at the time were kind of complaining. And they were like, well, what's going on, God? Like we look out at the world and it seems to be like all these powerful armies and nations. It seems to be uncertain. Our own lives, we're struggling at times. It's hard. It's hurtful. Our family members die. You know, we go through grief. Life can be tough. And they say this. Um, they, they kind of complain to God. And then God quotes back to them what they're saying. And this is the prophet. Why do you complain, Jacob? And why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my cause is disregarded by God? God doesn't really get me. God doesn't know what's going on in my life. In fact, no one does. God doesn't really understand does God really care? Does he really listen to my prayers? I mean, he says this stuff about restoration and all things working together for good, but, you know, sometimes I just don't see it. And that's how they feel. And the prophet's trying to encourage them, trying to speak to them. Don't just look at the temporary. Don't just look 
your circumstances as they are now. God is doing something great and glorious. God is doing his will, his mission. It's moving forward even though nations rise and fall, even though life's hard and challenging at times, even though you have personal struggles that are difficult, don't get just stuck there. God is moving. He's restoring. He's healing. He has a mission and a plan, and he will accomplish it. And he wants you, Israel, he wants you to be a part of it. He wants you to join him in that, even though you might feel broken, you might feel um, sinful, even though you might feel powerless, God wants to use you and me in his mission. And so in Isaiah 61, the passage that Mike so uh, read for us so wonderfully, thank you, Mike. These are seven signs. These are that, Remember, Jesus uses this passage in Luke 4 to frame his whole mission. The Messiah has come in Jesus. He's come. These people have been waiting hundreds of years. They've been told for hundreds of years Jesus is coming. And this is what the Messiah will look like. He will preach good news to the oppressed and the afflicted. Um, he will bind up the brokenhearted. I could just stop there for a moment. The Messiah's mission. See how quiet the room gets? We'll bind up the brokenhearted. Who hasn't, who's over 10 years old and hasn't felt grief or, or suffered or disappointment? A heart that's been broken. The Messiah will come and begin to bind up and heal broken hearts. He will proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners. Proclaim the year of acceptance, the year of God's favour, the period of God's grace. He will announce that there is a day in which God will hold humanity to account. God will judge the living and the dead. And Jesus talked about that. He will comfort mourners and provide for those who grieve. And I love this last one. He will replace mourning with joy and praise for despair. Isn't there such a weight of mental ill health in our culture? So much despair, so much discouragement. So many people gripped without hope and the Messiah offers a way to replace mourning with joy and praise for despair. It's good news, right? Who wants to live in a world like that? Who, who wants, I mean, even people who don't believe, who have no faith, who, who are atheists, would say, this is good. There's something wrong with the world. Most people, most worldviews, most ideologies, in fact, everyone I've ever encountered or read or religious worldview, says basically there's something wrong with the world. There's something wrong with humanity. There's something not just broken in the world. There's something broken in us. We experience brokenness as people. And everyone has a solution, right? There's, there's all sorts of things that are offered as solutions. And not all of them are bad or wrong or without some sort of benefit. But God has provided the ultimate solution in Jesus, a restoration of our relationship with God, our creator, a, a redeeming of broken humanity into a new life of purpose and meaning. And it's a beautiful thing. 
But the Messiah comes. He wants to begin this work in our hearts and in our world, which he has. But then he wants to invite us into that as well. And we'll go to the next one. Uh, thanks, Lisa. In the next part of Isaiah 61, I love this, this little section. It's, it's a promise that, that we get to be part of God's work in the world. They, that's God's people, that's those of us who know and follow Jesus. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And you take that literally, like literal rebuilding of things that are broken and torn down in cities or nations, but take it spiritually as well. All of our lives to some extent have been ruined by sin, by our sin and by the sins of others. To some extent, we are all ruined or broken. And part of God's work is to rebuild, to restore, but then he wants to use us to rebuild and restore one another's lives. That's why the church is a body. Um, we believe that every person has received God's spirit, has a call, has a part to play in rebuilding and renewing not just their own life, but the lives of others. So if that's the case, um, let's, let's have a bit of a, a sweep over the whole Bible story. And I love this uh, quote. I'll read it to you by Michael Goheen and Timothy Sheridan. The Bible is a cosmic story. Like think of a movie and Jesus picked his movie line out of it. It's a big story. A movie is a story that unfolds God's purposes in history to restore and recover his whole creation and the entirety of human life from sin and its effects. God's purpose is ultimately revealed and accomplished in Jesus Christ and implemented by the Spirit in and through the church. This is the true story of the world, and it is a different story from all other cultural stories. The story of the Bible, the story of what God is doing through Jesus, there's not just one story among many to choose from. It's the story. It's the story that will prevail. It's his story. And that's what God is doing. And he invites you, he invites me into that story through faith in Jesus. Not just to believe in him and keep it private. And like I've got my you know, privatized faith in Jesus and no one else around me knows anything about it kind of thing. I go to work, I go here or there and it's just this little private devotional thing. No, our faith in Jesus is something public that we're sharing in this story that God's renovating and rebuilding our lives. And then he wants to use us to help renovate and rebuild the lives of those around us. It's a great um, calling and a great opportunity. So uh, what sort of church should, should we be, should we look like? And I want to just pull a few things here from some smarter people than me, but I agree with them. Um, I know there's a lot of text there, but let me just read through it. This is Leslie New being at Biggin, who actually was in India for many years as a missionary, um, and then came back to the West, and he had... 20, 30 years in India, and he came back to the West and saw the church and was like, what's going on here? Because <laughs> in India, they were very much able to say, well, here's what Christian life and faith and, and, and here's these other religious things, and it was quite you know, easy in some sense to discern what was of Christ and what wasn't. Came back to the West and saw the church very compromised, very gripped by greed, materialism, um, apathy, um, no real commitment to God's mission, um, no real commitment to prayer, 
And he was like, wow. And he could see his own culture fresh for the first time after 20 or 30 years in India. Uh, And so he, he says this, that the church is a community of praise in a culture of suspicion. The church is a community of truth in a culture of relativism where your truth is your truth, whatever you believe is whatever you believe. No, the church is saying there is truth. Jesus is the truth. The church is a community of selfless involvement in the concerns of the neighbourhood in a culture of selfishness. That's why it's great that we do things like the supermarket pickup, you know, potluck, chat and do, men's shed, you know, these things that we serve our local community where we're not getting anything so much in return, but we're selflessly serving as a church our local community. The church is a community who lives out their vocational calling. That's your job, where you work, whether it's a butcher or a baker or a candlestick maker. Um, live out your vocational calling for the sake of the world to serve in a culture that privatises the gospel. So your faith actually seeps into what you do in your working life and it helps inform your working life and shape how you work and serve in the world. The church is a community of mutual responsibility where we care for one another in a culture of individualism. It's a community of hope in a culture of despair. Be a place of hope, a place where people are welcome in a culture where there's despair, where people are confused, where people have no idea at times how to do community. More and more, oh my gosh, they've been appointing all over the Western world ministers for loneliness, government ministers for loneliness, because loneliness is this cancerous epidemic in the Western world because everyone's blooming on their phones the whole time sitting here like this. People don't know how to communicate or connect anymore. And loneliness has become a source of a lot of mental illness, a lot of emotional problems. And where to be a community of hope. The church is a community of hope and welcome. And just quickly, um, Tim Keller, uh, who, who I like, puts five things that the church in the West needs to be and focus on. It's a multi-ethnic church. Um, God is concerned for all the nations. I know in the Adelaide Hills we're, we're fairly European. That's fine. God loves Europeans too. Um, the church is committed to the poor and, and to justice, to serving, to helping. And we saw that in some of Brian's work that he's doing, you know, helping the, the poorest of the poor, those who have not even the basic things that they need to live by. The church models civility, peacemaking and bridge building as a patient, humble, tolerant, gentle and forgiving people. So we try and find ways. We're not combative. Uh, We're not necessarily aggressive. Um, We're staunchly pro-life for the unborn and for the elderly in terms of euthanasia debates. We're staunchly for life and pro-life. And we offer a sexual counterculture. We tell a different story about sex and sexuality to what the culture is talking about. Now, Tim Keller makes the point that if you look at these, the first two, one and two, are like what we might call like left-wing, leftist ideology would focus on. These are great. You know, progressive, leftist kind of minded people would be like, yeah, multi-ethnic, we're against racism, you know, committed to the poor and injustice. Yeah, we love that. And then perhaps those more conservative on the right of politics traditionally would be like staunchly pro-life and um, really speaking into the sexual craziness in our culture. And it's like to be 
a faithful church is to hold those things together, not to be one or the other. I'm over here on these things, they're my flags. Or I'm over here on these things, they're my flags. But no, the church holds them together as a loving community of hope, preaching, teaching, proclaiming the truth of Jesus, but not buying into the divisive politics and the narrative of our culture that just wants to divide us on these issues. Actually, God's for all of them and about all of them. So as a church community, as Hills Baptist Church, Mount Barker, as we've been on this amalgamation journey, this is our vision, um, which taps into, flows from Jesus' vision, flows from what we've just talked about. We exist to see Jesus glorified. He's the anointed one. He's the saviour. He's the Messiah. We want to see Jesus glorified, known, loved, adored, worshipped, followed, obeyed. We want to see lives transformed as we honour Jesus, as we proclaim him, He speaks to our lives. He transforms us. He heals us, sometimes over time, sometimes dramatically. He helps us overcome the sin, the brokenness that plague our lives. We want to see our lives and the lives of others transformed. We want to reveal hope. We want to be a community where hope overflows by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so our mission is to make disciples, people who follow Jesus, who know Jesus, who live like Jesus in this world, by establishing Christ-centred communities that are growing in God, loving people, and boldly sharing the gospel. There's a lot in there to unpack, but essentially it's this. As on the last one, thanks, Lisa. The Spirit of the Lord was on Jesus to begin this healing restoration, to continue God's mission work on earth. You will receive power, says Jesus, in the book of Acts, he's risen, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Why don't you read that with me? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Does that include the Adelaide Hills? Yeah, it does, right? And so as a church community, we continue with Jesus' mission. We continue to let him be Lord of our lives, to transform our lives, to heal, to restore, uh, to help grow us in faith and in love. But we have a mission. It's not just a privatised thing. Me and Jesus, you know, kind of, we're buddy-buddy, that's great, but I don't care about the rest of the world. No, Jesus restores and saves and blesses us so that we can become people who restore and bless others in his name. So that's just encouragement in mission. Um, I know you're all on mission. There's lots of people um, serving and um, offering up their time to the Lord each week in different ways. But I want to pray for us around this. And I want you to stand as we pray. And you in your own way, I guess, say, well, if the Spirit of the Lord is on me, what, what shape, what specifically is, is he called me to focus on now? Maybe it's my family Maybe it's in my workplace. Maybe it's just a time where you need to, to just have some space to seek him afresh. But what is my calling now, Lord? I'm part of your mission. I'm part of your plan for the world. You've saved me. You've redeemed me. Uh, you've forgiven me. Uh, Lord, I want to be useful and fruitful. So I want to pray into that. So you pray as well, uh, but I'll lead us in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for the story of the Bible. Thank you for the grand story that though the world is broken, though we are broken, you have acted and you are acting to redeem, to restore, 
to rebuild, rebuild our lives in this world. Thank you that we are heading towards a new heaven and a new earth where there is no decay, there is no death, there is no violence or wickedness or, or hatred, there is no tears, no sorrow, no sadness. There are no broken hearts in the heavenly kingdom. Thank you, Lord our God, that this is where you are bringing the world. And you are doing this in and through Jesus, your son. You are doing this through your church, your people on earth. Lord, would you help our hearts be recommitted and devoted to you and to your mission in this world. Lord, would you forgive us where we get overcome by the pressures of life and the problems of life and the challenges of life and we lose sight of the fact that you are bringing all things together for good, all things together for good, including our lives, Lord. And at times when we are like the people of Israel and we just wonder, what's going on, Lord? The world seems crazy. It seems on edge. There seems so many fracture points globally. Lord, our lives, we struggle at times. Lord, breathe life into us afresh, Lord. Breathe your spirit, God. As you said of Jesus, the, the prophet Isaiah said these words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Heavenly Father, would you breathe your spirit upon us afresh that we might take joy in knowing you, in your mission on this world, that we would see our lives as being part of that beautiful tapestry of colour and healing that you are bringing to the nations. Lord, we just say, here we are. Use us, Lord. Continue to use us as a church, Lord. I want to thank you for 150 years of faithful service, of mission and ministry into this community and beyond. And Lord, as we are in May mission, Lord, thank you for lifting our hearts and our minds to seeing all of the work that's being done, all of the people serving across the nations, bringing the hope of Jesus, the good news of Christ, the love of God into communities, bringing transformation, healing and wholeness, friendship and care. Lord, help us continue to be people and a church who bless others as we've been blessed, who serve others as, as you have served us, Lord Jesus, and who are part of your healing and restoration and rebuilding body on earth. And Lord, overflow our hearts with hope, hope by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for people here who may have broken hearts, whose lives have been impacted and inflicted by pain and trauma and loss. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus for your healing love, for your grace, for your tender word for them today. Lord Jesus Christ, speak a word of love and tenderness to say you understand that it won't always be like this, that you ultimately heal broken hearts. You ultimately free us from the things which bind and break us. So come, Lord Jesus Christ, by your Spirit, and free your people to serve you, to love you, to be filled with praise. And lastly, Lord, I pray that you would cover us with a garment of praise for the spirit of despair and heaviness. Father, put a song of praise in our hearts. Lift our hearts, Lord, to you, that even in the midst of darkness and difficulty and decay and death and uncertainty in this world, 
we'll have a song of praise that will rise up because you are bringing all things together for good, for your glory. And you have started this, Lord, and you will finish it. You will finish your work and you will complete the mission that you have begun. Lord, we join you in it and thank you that we can share in it as well. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.